0: people heal their relationships with food body and beyond today we have an awesome interview with Whitney Catalano. She is a registered dietitian previously known as Trust Your Body Online and now she is an intuitive success coach for entrepreneurs and we talk about so many incredible things today on the podcast. But before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by Food Body Soul, the membership. This is my favorite place. It's a group coaching program and sisterhood for those looking to heal their relationships with food, feel confident in their skin, and cultivate a deeper connection to themselves it's such a fabulous place the guidance and support that everyone inside shows each other is incredible and so healing and being on the same journey as others knowing you're not alone there truly is nothing like it it's a safe place to work on food freedom and body liberation it's a place where you learn tools and strategies that i don't share anywhere anywhere else so head to foodbodysoul.co to learn more Again, that's foodbodysoul.co to learn more. Next month, the month of July, is all about how to use meal planning as an intuitive eater. How to use this as a tool, how to think about it, approach it, and utilize it so that it helps you get out of that all-or-nothing mentality if you feel like you have to eat only the healthiest foods or you're over here eating nothing but like takeout and chips and all the things. So if you're in an all or nothing pattern with food, or if you're struggling with unconditional permission to eat, I'm going to teach you next month, the month of July in foodbodysoul.co, all about how to utilize meal planning to help you transition into an intuitive eating pattern And to support you in really living in alignment with your health values. Today on the podcast, like I said, we're interviewing Whitney Catalano. We talk about so many great topics. I'm so excited to have her on. She used to be incredibly well known in the anti-diet space as an anti-diet dietitian, fighting weight stigma, educating people about health at every size at uh, health at every size and fat activism and last year she went through a huge pivot completely burnt her business down and has built it back up she has been following her her soul that little inner voice inside of her telling her what to do next i think that this episode is going to be so helpful for anyone who's thinking about making a change in their life whatever that is whether it's um getting into a relationship or leaving a relationship, changing jobs or careers, starting a business, working towards recovery. We also talk a lot about empaths and highly sensitive people. We talk about intuition. We talk about having uh, parents who did not know how to emotionally regulate who or who were emotionally immature and the impact of that. We talk about spiritual awakenings and, and kundalini awakenings, we, we kind of go all over the place and somehow it all connects beautifully. So without further ado, let's get into today's interview with Whitney. Can you share about yourself and specifically your history with your relationship with food and your body? And then how did you get to where you are now? Someone who has a history as a dietitian but is working as a success coach for intuitives, which is like such a pivot, I think, from the outside yeah. looking in.
1: Yeah. From the outside it is, but I'm happy to um, share kind of the behind the scenes too, but how, what is my history? Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know who that version of myself was, but I, so, you know, a little background spiel on my relationship with food and my body. Uh, It's kind of your classic story, your most formative years, 11, 12, and the body image, you know, assaults on our insecurities just start pouring in from the outside world. And um, I just, you know, grew up like a little bit bigger than all my friends and I didn't have, I didn't go to a very big school. So I think, and it was an all girls school. So I think all of that was just kind of amplified Um, but I just became acutely aware at some point that I felt like I looked different than everyone else. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a bad thing, I think. And so I went on Jenny Craig in like seventh or eighth grade, something so ridiculous, like really early on. And of course I got that positive feedback from my mom and from my dad and from whoever else of just, oh, wow, you look so good, yada, yada. So that really just starts the cycle. And, you know, I I tell that story all the time and I recognize now that like my mom meant so well and I love her, but um, that definitely, you know, leaves an impact. So, you know, I yo-yoed, I did all the things, finally got to college, had a pretty severe restrictive dieting mentality and it just took over, ended up I was studying psychology, ended up switching to become a dietitian because I was like, Ooh, this will give me control over food. I can't wait to learn everything there is to learn about it. Like, Oh my God, this is going to be amazing. I am going to be so knowledgeable and I'm never going to binge again. Cause of course I was like binging in secret and you know, everything that comes with chronic dieting and yeah, fast forward after college, my, um, My dad passed away and that really enabled me to start healing. I, he was sick for a long time. And so I think I was in this perpetual waiting period of, I have to keep it all together and I have to be the adult and I have to keep this, you know, big secret that he's not doing well and all of this stuff. So when he finally passed away and I don't mean to say finally, like that was obviously devastating, but it's also freeing. Um, I was able to like do some deep healing. And then I was like, Oh, I don't have the healthiest relationship with food. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. Like I really, this is really impacting my life. This is a lot. And so started doing that at the same time I'm starting my business and I got into intuitive eating and food freedom and anti-diet stuff and fat activism and just all of the things. Um, and it honestly, like, I'm so grateful for that and it's it's such an important part of my journey because if I had not done that I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I am today because I would still be probably obsessed and you know that enabled me to like not only love myself but also just step into myself in such a deeper way that it opened me up to oh I carry these perfectionism tendencies in not just food, not just with my body, but in my business and overworking and needing success and all of these things. That's just what you do or how you, you know, are in one area of your life tends to be how you are in every area of your life. And so it was like, kind of like whack-a-mole. Like once I knocked down the like food freedom, you know, dieting part of it, then I was on to the next thing and my career kind of evolved naturally with it. Yeah. So now I'm doing like intuitive success. I do purpose and alignment coaching. Um, What else do I do? I help empaths with boundaries, with confidence, things like that. So it actually is ironically stuff I was doing before, but no one, you wouldn't have known I was doing that stuff before, unless you were really paying attention to my Instagram or you were like, a client. Because what was happening behind the scenes was this much deeper work that had absolutely nothing to do with food. And I always joked on my podcast, which like, you know, everyone probably should have seen this coming. I think the real ones did see it coming. i joked be like, if I never had to talk about food again, like I would be so happy. You know, I just want to sit here and like talk about feelings. And then I pivoted and everyone's like, yeah, that, that adds up. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's interesting to hear that you were studying psychology again, or that you were mm-hmm. originally, excuse me. Cause one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, what role did your struggle with food and body image play in becoming a dietitian? which you already, you already like touched on that, that it, it sounds mm-hmm. like it played a pretty big role in shifting from yeah. psychology. Yeah. Which I don't think you're alone in that. Totally.
1: I mean, looking around, it was really interesting, like how you know, I don't think every dietitian is like this, but I think the majority are. Um, It's very uh, success oriented, but it's very like good grades. You know, being a dietitian is associated with being, having everything perfectly in the box and, you know, two plus two equals four type of people and very type A, you know, because we're working with numbers, we're working with, which is so interesting because nutrition is not an exact science. And yet you would think it is, based on the type of people who are not only studying the field, but also based on like the assignments that we had to do and the various things that we had to learn, you would think it's an exact mathematical equation, but it's not. (laughs) So it's a bunch of like overachievers who are like really, really strict about food. And that is just so normalized. And I, yeah, that was, for my, my disordered eating side, I was like, oh, this is I'm thriving in this because I can, you know, compete with all these people to like get into dietetic internships. It's very competitive. Um, you know, at my school, they set you down and they're like, most people can't even get into a dietetic internship unless they have really good grades. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm just like, is that a challenge? Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, I also super, super resonate with what you had said about how you do this deeper work behind the scenes. I think on the front, it's like, we're just going to help you stop binge eating cake. And that's like the very, very, very tip of the iceberg. And I think like you had said, unless someone is a client of yours or like a client of mine, they really might not know that like, that's what's going on behind the scenes. And that's, in my opinion, curious of yours, necessary to like actually heal these issues with food.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's a hundred percent necessary. It's, you cannot avoid it and anyone who can right? like anyone who finds intuitive eating food freedom whatever and is able to just give yourself unconditional permission and call it a day and all of a sudden they're like oh wow you're right i you know don't binge at night and i am able to make um, more aligned choices or whatever it is um they were not the clients I was taking on. (laughs) I was like, that's why the book exists. You know, that's why multiple books exist for the people who are kind of middle of the road, who don't have that really heavy history. But they're, I, I don't want to say they're the lucky ones, but they are kind of the lucky ones. Cause they, you know, I think that there's some people who only dabbled in diet culture. And so getting out of it was not too hard. And then there's the people that I worked with who were like put on diets from the age of six, you know what I mean? And like really had a lot of trauma around body image and around food that there's no way to do this work without going a lot deeper.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. I feel that for sure. I think that's a good, uh like I don't measurement, I don't know measurement's not the right word, but it's for somebody who's listening who's like, okay, I've been reading the books and it's not working. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe your sign that you might need more support and you need to look maybe a little bit past giving yourself permission, you know.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay, so I'm curious about the difference between, the anti-diet work that you got into and that you did as it compared to like what you were taught in school? I wasn't taught any of
1: this in school. None of it. It's so interesting. Like I wasn't even taught health at every size research in school, which is really a shame because one of my teachers was one of the researchers on uh, the Framingham Heart Study. That research class that we had to take, or we had to take a couple of research classes in my school, but um, really... Talk to us about critical thinking. Really, like, you know, emphasize the importance of looking for the flaws and looking for the questions that are not being asked and looking for the um, things that are not overtly written. Because you can read a study and you can look at a study and be like, okay, well, this is these are the conclusions. But then you really have to put on your critical thinking hat and say, wait what is not being discussed here? What's where are the gaps? What, how could this have been biased? How could this have been flawed? Whatever. And so I'm shocked, honestly, that we never looked at some of the diet research for what it is. And we never looked at, you know, health at every size, like the foundation for health at every size, because I think that is like critical research analysis in a nutshell is being able to look at all this diet research and be like, wait, this is not adding up. Like there's, what do you mean we don't have successful diets like nothing has been successful like what I don't understand (laughs) we just didn't so getting into all of this stuff was so mind-boggling because on one hand thankfully we would go to conferences and stuff like the food nutrition conference and they would have health at every size talks right and then on the other hand there's a whole world of how do you, you know, help people lose weight and what equations are you using? And just all of this stuff that in my opinion is so misaligned with how the human body actually works. And the fact that we learned, it was just, it it was wild. The cognitive dissonance when I first got into it was very intense because I was like, I must be missing something. Like I'm reading these things and I'm like, I must be missing something. Like why is no one talking about this? Because if this is actually what it is, then and that's exactly why the cognitive dissonance, like no one wants to question everything that they've learned. It's really uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, I didn't learn much of any of it in school.
0: <laughs> mm. And I
1: didn't, you know, I learned the counseling techniques. We had to take it one counseling class, but I think the dietitians sp- should spend way more time learning about therapeutic techniques and like counseling and, you know, different forms of therapy, just because I'm not saying that dietitians should be therapists, but we do need much more in-depth counseling skills than we got. And so I also had to do a lot of that learning for myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I hear what you're saying and I understand that cognitive dissonance. It makes me think of something that we were talking about in DMs. I had DMed you a couple of weeks ago because an old post of yours when you were still trust your body and mm-hmm. an, an anti-diet dietitian had started to gain a lot of traction again. And traction, you had mentioned- yeah. <laughs> Um, like all the negative trolls and stuff. And one of the things that you said to me, I don't remember exactly, but it was something along the lines of, I'm really sick of like talking to people who just don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and how resistant people are to challenging their already existing beliefs. I'm just curious if you have thoughts and you want to share on that. Because I think that's a yeah. huge thing.
1: Yeah. So I was, I have a friend it's kind of a tangent, but related. I have a friend who is probably one of the smartest people I know. Half the time he talks, I'm like, you're not talking to like us lay people, you know, he's kind of your classic academic, but he's very um, counter to, you know, he's really interested in looking at the flaws of the culture as a whole, you know, and uh, tearing down these the frameworks w- within which we're having the conversation And one of the things he was talking about, so his, his focus is around environmental justice and, you know, agriculture and things like that food just in general. And whereas mine was more bodies and like. His is more cultural and mine's more internal, right? So I was watching him talk about these things where he was like, it's so hard to even discuss the environmental impact of let's say agriculture, for example, or animal agriculture, because every analysis that's been written about it has been through the lens that there, we will always have animal agriculture, right? It's this normative lens where that is the foundation. That's the non Contested foundation, right? It's it's the foundation that everyone assumes to be true that we will always have animal art, um, animal agriculture, and as long as we always have animal agriculture, everything that we're talking about, we're we're picking apart all these little things like these little sources of carbon emissions or whatever it is. But everyone's ignoring the elephant in the room, which is like the actual animal (laughs) agriculture is the problem. And I was like, that's exactly how diet culture is. Like, that's exactly the same thing is we're all talking about health and food and mental health and all of these things through the lens of, but you have to lose weight. And we're not actually looking at the infrastructure itself of weight loss, of dieting of needing to be thin to be quote healthy we're not actually looking at that on a cultural level and so for people who have never considered that the infrastructure might be the problem that's an impossible it's an impossible conversation to have you know and i do understand it i mean i really do believe that food freedom and stuff like radicalized me honestly <laughs> because once you start questioning questioning one infrastructure entirely especially evidence based right quote evidence based when you start questioning entire body of research nothing is real you're like oh okay this is all fake and we're all just listening to these like white male scientists who have been running the industry for the entirety of it like So to your point, you know, there are so many people who get really heated and, and I do, I have a lot of compassion and empathy for these people because, you know, I can only imagine the things like based on the things that people say and spew, I can only imagine the things that they've been told about their own bodies, about their own food, about whatever, and the things that they experience, the way that they viscerally react. Like when someone has a fight or flight reaction to like an Instagram post, that's coming from a wound of theirs. So I can only imagine what they've learned, but at the end of the day, like you cannot have conversations with people who are just not ready to question the basis of what they know. And that's fair. Like, it's fair if you don't want to question the world. Like I, It's hard for me to even be like, you know, make a moral judgment about it because I get it. We're not supposed to. Like, the human brain is not designed to question our entire existence.
0: <laughs>
1: what do you mean by that? Our, the human brain is, it can be trained to question the our entire existence. I think there are people who are born Um, with a purpose. I mean, this is my sort of like spiritual beliefs, but I think that there's a lot of us who are here to kind of end karmic cycles and we have family members or whatever. We have generations and generations of people repeating the same karmic cycles and almost in this like numbed out, like you're just going through the motions and not questioning anything. And then there's a generation that comes and we're like, Hey, this is weird. (laughs) And so we're here, like part of our purpose, right. Is to break those cycles, to actually make meaningful change and like question it. And that's really how society evolves and moves forward is that people come and we kind of start to wake up. And I think the internet's got the biggest role in that is helping people wake up to the fact that like, you don't have to accept the status quo if you don't want to like, and you probably shouldn't. Right. So. That's kind of at odds with our physiology. <laughs> our physiology says survive. That's it. Survive, reproduce. We're not. We don't have like complex thoughts. This is like our, you know, reptilian brain. Our little, our little brain in the back. Not like reptilians. Not like the conspiracy theory. But just <laughs> like the the brain that's only responsible for our fight or flight and for our survival. That part of our brain is not, you know questioning the entire culture, that part of our brain is looking at the rest of our brain that questions the entire culture and being like, but that means rejection. That means you might be kicked out of society. That means you might die. That means you might not be fed. That means whatever, so don't do it. So it is this battle of like an actual physiological fear whether it's rational or not, right? Whether it's like founded in something you should actually be afraid of or not. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But that part of our brain is like, (gasps) fight or flight, stress response. Like, no, 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 don't question it. Don't question it because then you won't, then mommy won't love you. And then you're going to
0: die. And like, you won't be safe. And oh my God, like I can't protect you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Everything's like, you're going to (laughs) die. Wait, I'm going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Yeah.
0: It makes me think a little bit of like something I learned in neuro-linguistic programming about how our brain is taking in 2.6 million bits per second of data in every second and our subconscious beliefs are actually filtering out all of that information except 126 bits per second so that means that over 2.5 million bits per second of data is being filtered out because because it doesn't already match our pre-existing beliefs and my friend Brandolin explained it as if there is this bright white light to your right and it is shining through a filter and after it's done filtering out all of that information all that's left on the other side is red the light red and it's not because the original source of that information was red it's just that the filter filtered out everything but the frequency of red and so when you're taking in information that doesn't already match your pre-existing beliefs or already confirm what you believe it's just not going to register. I'm curious if you also think this is in the same realm of what you're saying.
1: Absolutely. You know, one thing that I a coach said to me a lot, which really, um, you know, a couple of years ago was our brains are evidence seeking machines. And if we have a set of belief systems, a way that our brain operates normally, we will find all of the evidence to support that. And that's really where like thought work comes in of saying, okay, well, if you're looking for the evidence that you're a failure, you're going to find a lot of it. (laughs) But if you open yourself up to looking for alternate evidence, even when it's super uncomfy and feels like, you know, you will find evidence of the opposite too. And how, how do we deal with that as humans? Because I think that that's that alone is really difficult because then the ego flares up and is like, but that might mean I'm wrong. You know, especially in conversations about society, about culture, about, you know, food and bodies or whatever you're talking about, that might mean I'm wrong. That might mean that everything that I believed in is wrong, that I've wasted years. I think a big one for people is like, I wasted years dieting and now I'm gonna discover this. Like, but but if this works and I do feel more free around food and I do, finally get what I'm looking for, that means that I wasted 20 years or whatever doing the other thing. And then, you know, we just look for more reasons like not to do it. At the end of the day, it's like, it doesn't matter how long it took you to get there, just get there. You know, like we're all existing within this culture. So sure, it may feel like you wasted 20 years, but also those 20 years were really important to your growth and your evolution. So it's like, let's go, let's be easy on ourselves. You know, this is not an easy thing. So yeah, I think you're hundred percent right with that, which we, we kind of need to look around the filter.
0: Yeah. And acknowledge that there is a filter. Yeah. Yeah. I know you had said that you're happy to not be in that space where you're getting those comments from people for whatever reason. And again, I, I agree. It's an, I have compassion on them as well. Cause at some point I was in their shoes and like really convinced <laughs> you know, and all of the things that diet culture teaches us. Um, But for somebody who's maybe experiencing that type of like dismissal or rejection or uh, like a trauma-based response, whether it's online or in their real life, like maybe from a family member or a doctor, what advice would you have for that person to navigate it, to deal with it, uh, to maybe not internalize it?
1: I think the best advice is really just to go easy on yourself and understand that you might lash out and you might have these, you know, fight or flight reactions, these activations, these trauma-based responses. Um, and even when you are getting into the anti-diet space or you're learning about it, um, sometimes the pendulum can swing the opposite way. Whereas, like if someone talks about dieting around you, you want to like bite their head off. Um, and I think a lot of people go through that. It goes from wanting to bite anyone's head off that they're talking about intuitive eating. And then the op- and then you like swing the other way and you wanna bite everyone's head off who's dieting. And then you kind of settle somewhere in the middle. And so I always say like, give yourself permission to do that. Give yourself permission to have moments that you're not super proud of, whether it's on one side of the pendulum or the other, because that's part of learning. And by you know shaming ourselves for it and freaking out about it, we don't actually, address the fact that we're having a trauma-based response. We just kind of continue to get stuck in the trauma-based response over and over and over again, because now we're having like a shame response and then we're having a spiral and then it's like, oh my gosh, I'm a horrible person, whatever. So you just have to like free yourself from that and give yourself some space to like be a messy human. And when you start to learn more, start integrating that new knowledge into what you know to be true. And that just means, hmm. What would happen if this person that I just reacted to was right? Like, what what would that mean for me? And could I see where this person's coming from? Like getting just really, really curious. Like curiosity is the number one way to go about any of this, whether you're rebelling the anti-diet message or you're rebelling the diet message, right? Get curious about your own reactions and take a beat because you'll learn from it.
0: Yeah. That's super practical. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I love the idea of looking inward and getting curious about why you're reacting the way that you are. I think that's a huge valuable tip action item. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So earlier you were talking about dietetics, being type A, getting the right answers, the two plus two types of things, being an overachiever, hard worker. I don't think you said those two things, but I'm assuming that's a part of it. Mm-hmm. I know at some point you had a burnout before yeah. you pivoted. Mm-hmm. I would love to just hear you speak about burnout, your own experience of it. What is it? Why does why is it happening at the rate that it is?
1: Yeah. So emotional burnout and just burnout in general is super common. I think because as a society, we are all very quickly realizing that we're not supposed to be working in the society and existing in the society the way that it's structured currently. Um, I don't think anyone ever was, but I, you know, when the industrial revolution was happening and this type of spend your entire life working mentality uh, was created by those who wanted workers, um, (laughs) there wasn't a choice. You didn't have a choice whether or not you're going to work absurd hours and you may even die in the factories. Right. And as long as you can put a little bit of food on the table, that was like all you had. So now we're in this place in society where we do have a choice. We do get to decide, are you going to work insane hours just to put food on the table? Or is there another way? Can we go about this a different way? And now that we have this choice and especially during the pandemic, I think that this really illuminated, um, a lot of our patterns, but mine happened a little before you kind of have this moment where you're like, I'm, I can't keep denying myself, my humanity. I can't keep denying myself, my self care. Right. I'm working these long hours. I'm seeing clients. I'm doing this. I'm doing that, you know, burnout in mental health and emotional health and physical health. Like I think that these fields are so much more prone to burnout than a lot of other fields ironically, and yet (laughs) we're like paid the least, you know, like dietitians are not paid well and therapists are overworked and social workers are paid like shit and overworked and nurses, I mean, are thankfully paid well now, but they're working to their exhaustion teachers. Like there's so many different fields where we are just working ourselves literally to the point of breakdown. And so that burnout comes in when one, we've been ignoring our emotional needs. So we are not letting ourselves cry. We're not going to therapy. We're not doing the things that we need to do to take care of our emotions and heal our wounds. Um, a lot of us who are in like helper professions, we tend to, you know, hyper-focus on everyone else's problems. And then we literally don't have the emotional capacity to help ourselves. We literally do not have the emotional capacity to look after a long day, then be like, what do I want to cry about now? Like, what? you know, it's just, I need to just numb out, turn on TV, drink, whatever you do to numb out. Right. That's what it is. And so all of that builds up and there's this really great book called burnout by Emily Nagoski, And she talks about how back in like tribal times, right? Let's say you're running from a predator and you're running and you're running and you're like, oh my gosh, and your fight or flight's being activated and you're freaking out. And then you get back to your tribe and you're safe and everyone's like, woo, and you're celebrating. Like I made it from the lion. Like, who knows if this is actually what it was like, but (laughs) woo, like I made it. Like I didn't get eaten. Awesome. That woo, that celebration is closing an emotional loop you were in fight or flight, and then you celebrated because you made it and you got out and that signals to the body, hey, we're safe. Most of our threats are not lions anymore. <laughs> Most of our f- threats are like words or mindsets or fear or anxieties or rejection or whatever it is. It's all very internal. So we never get that moment of like, "Woo, I'm safe. You're always threatened over and over and over again. And so, you're not only carrying the weight of what you're like, how long you're working, how many people you're helping and not helping yourself, all the times that you've neglected your self care. Like, not only are you carrying all of that, but you're also carrying like all this old stuff that just never had that celebration moment to release. And eventually, it's just too much. Like, we literally carry all of this in our physical body, and the physical body will shut you down. It will say, no, no, we're not going any farther. So for me, my burnout literally looked like I couldn't do anything like brain fog. I was just frozen. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to (laughs) just stuck. And I had to really radically slow down in order to get out of that, um, which was scary, but very, very
0: necessary. Mm, Yeah, I. I can really, I had a burnout, like I think at the end of 2019, I had three months where I was just like, I couldn't do anything. I was depressed. I was crying like every day, all I wanted to do was like lie in bed. And I didn't understand what was going on. Like it hadn't clicked that, oh, maybe I'm burnt out from Mm. working my ass off for years in a row without like real significant breaks or managing my workload on a day to day. That was like a big thing. Um, And it's interesting to know that because the threats are so different, we don't really close that emotional loop. So what is something that someone could do in their day-to-day, like in between meetings or something that could help them close maybe a flight or flight response from a negative text, someone not texting you back, your boss saying something nasty, a triggering email, like what Do you have any tools and practices that are like very practical that people could take with them?
1: Yeah. So one of my favorite ones that I teach pretty much everyone is um, shaking. (laughs) So when birds, yeah, when birds fight each other uh, at the end of the fight, they shake out their wings and it's like a... (sighs) you know, and they have to, they get all the energy out of their body. Humans need to do that too. So you can literally stand up and just like shake your whole body. And it looks a little silly, but it feels so good. You just let your limbs hang, like everything hang and you just shake it out. If you're really caught in anxiety, or if you're caught in your mind, this will help you like actually reconnect to your body and get back in your body because the, the thought spirals are just because you're detaching from your body. You know, you don't go into those thought spirals if you re-embody and you get that connection back. Like, it's like the neck just gets cut off and all of a sudden you're, you're trapped in your head and you're in the fetal position in your bed. You know what I mean? Like, we don't even realize that we're totally disconnected from ourselves. So if you're able to just get up and shake your whole body out for a second, it's surprisingly effective. <laughs> um, other things you can do are just getting outside. Sunlight is super, super important for grounding. Um, and reconnecting to your power centers and just reconnecting to yourself, um, feet on the ground, feet on grass or on dirt or something like that. If you can't do that, you know, even just feet on concrete, it's fine. Or choose, it doesn't matter. Just get in contact with the earth in some way. Um, get out in nature if you can, but definitely sunlight on the face for a few minutes really helps. I have a hard time with that since quarantine of like getting, leaving my apartment, It was one of those things that like really messed with me. And I was like, okay, I have to leave more. (laughs) Leave my apartment more. It's not good for me. Um, Water. I know that everyone says that, but it's real. Okay. It's real. And then just in general, having some sort of like consistent creative practice. So whether it's painting or drawing or um, writing or whatever your creativity even if you're not creative, right. Even if it's all so ugly, but the act of connecting to an artistic process helps close those emotional
0: loops. Yeah. I love, I love shaking uh, so, so much. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it on my, um, IG stories and we'll do it like on coaching calls when I have clients that are just like (gasps) in a state, you know? So I love that you brought that in.
1: Get up and shake. Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm curious, I want to like shift and talk about where you're at now, um, on this spiritual path. You've talked quite a bit on your Instagram about a spiritual awakening. So I'm curious, like, did you grow up religious? Did you always identify with like this new age spirituality stuff? Like, how would you find it? Like, how was it introduced to you?
1: Yeah. So I definitely did not grow up religious. I was actually really, um, I rebelled against the Christian God a lot and I still, don't love the christian god i understand i have a lot more compassion for it now and i understand how it's just kind of different words for the same thing that every religion is trying to get to and so who am i to say that like their words are worse i think it's about what you do with those words and that's where they get the bad rap which i'm like that's valid. <laughs> like, we, we can't pretend like, you know, Christianity doesn't have a very problematic history and also um, a large problematic subculture. That being said, I know a lot of Christians who are some of the most amazing people in the world because they actually hold those values to be true. It's not a tool for shame. But I did really rebel against it as a child. My mom kind of gave me the option when I was younger do you want to go to church or not? She's not really religious. She's very you know, ironically enough, um, my mom is kind of the polar opposite of me. She's extremely two plus two equals four. She was a lawyer. She was, she's very logical. She doesn't get really emotional about politics. She doesn't get really emotional about really anything except for, you know, things that are super personal to her. Whereas I get emotional about like everything. (laughs) Um, So I think that, you know, created some issues with us, like learning how to communicate because she just did not understand why I was such an emotional person. And like in every way, you know, I'm just, I'm also very big idea, visionary, big picture. And she's more of like an analyst brain, um, can zoom in on the micro details and always wants to like pick apart my big, my big ideas. And I'm just like, they're ideas. Like I'm just talking things out. Like I just see patterns and I see trends. I'm not, you know, whatever so (laughs) we tend to we tend to bump up against that and so religion was never really a big part of anything i went to a christian high school from sophomore to senior year and i kind of saw the best and the worst of christianity which i think is very interesting now looking back because i have a lot of like knowledge about it which i'm grateful for and i'm able to see the patterns between like how is it used to actually benefit people and how is it used to really harm people because I saw both in in teachers and students. Um, But, you know, for the longest time, like I've always sort of spoken from a new age spiritual perspective, um, but I didn't connect with it until in the same way until last year. Like I've always kind of dabbled, but it was never, it never stuck, right? Like it never, like, I just kind of I, it's hard to really explain. I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. I, I, Cause I've always been interested in like the supernatural and witchcraft and like um, learning about, you know, spiritual practices. And I think when you're in the personal development sphere long enough, you just get this language coming in as well. Um, and I've always believed in things outside of what we can see in front of us. However, I was never convinced about a, you know, a God, And then last year I had this like huge spiritual awakening where I was like, oh my gosh, this is really interesting because up until this point I'd been super rebellious against anything. And now I'm just like, oh, (laughs) this is probably what people were talking about. Um, Yeah. I don't even know if that answered your question. It's kind of like hard to parse through because once you're like on the other side, it's hard to think back and be like, cause now on the other side of it, I look back and I see all the puzzle pieces, how they were lining up. Mm -hmm. And then it all kind of came together into a picture one day. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, whoa, where'd this come from?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get that. It reminds me of, I used to read a quote before every podcast interview by Steve Jobs. And it said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back for backwards. So you just have to have faith in something that the dots will connect. Mm -hmm. What would you, in your opinion, what is a spiritual awakening?
1: So for me, I, um, I've had people tell me that this is like, goes by other names. They're like, it sounds like you had a Kundalini awakening, which I still don't know what that is, but I've heard that word a lot. And I'm like, that's cool. Um, I call it my mad scientist moment. So I had a week last year when I was just in a frantic, I felt like Dexter in Dexter's laboratory. You know what I mean? Like I was up in my little loft, um, at my old apartment, just like channeling all of this information, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, was just things were like pouring out of me and I was like pivoting my business and I was doing all of this. Like, it was just, it kind of felt like something took over my whole body and was like, hey, we need to like make some really quick path shifts for you very quick, like now, You <laughs> like this is the time. <laughs> you're the vehicle. Like you are not autonomous right now. We're taking over whatever that is, source consciousness. I don't know. Um, spirit guides, whoever just took over my body for like a week. And I was just in this, like (laughs) this zone. And, you know, I've had it described to me like, Oh, that kind of sounds like a manic episode. It kind of sounds like, I'm like, yeah, it could be any of these things. Like who knows? But Um, what I do know is that everything just started to click after that. I started finding these videos and started finding people and reading books and just everything, like all of these messages were finding me in the exact moment that I need them. And the synchronicities were insane. Like I was pivoted my business the exact same day as this tarot reader was pivoting her business, but I see the video till a month later. And everything she said in that video was like exactly what I had channeled on that exact same date. And it was just, all of this stuff was like too wild of the things that I was saying. And then I was looking around and hearing people going through it at the exact same time. Like that isn't a, like, that's not a coincidence. We're all connected to something. And it just kind of broke me wide open because I've always believed in this. Like I've always believed that we're all connected. And I've, I can, I've always, since I was a kid, been able to see how energy flows between like communities within ourselves, like you know, that's how I got into shadow work was just understanding, like, I've just always been able to see that stuff. And then I realized that that was actually part of what I was supposed to do. Like, I'm supposed to be seeing all of that stuff and I'm supposed to be waking up to this right now. And just everything started to come together. And then I was looking around and as I was talking about it, people were like, wait, I'm going through the same thing as you are right now. So it just, I don't know, it felt like this, um, the way I used to describe it was, it felt like this like spiritual army was waking up during the pandemic. And we were all just like, Oh, I think we have a job to do. What do we have to do? <laughs> like, tell us, tell us where to go next. But like, I'm, you know, I'm the vehicle. So that's the best way I can describe it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, you described it. well. I can, I can imagine you in your room moving frantically about, <laughs> you know, channeling all this stuff. I'm wondering when you knew, like, and I'm asking this question because I think that there's Possibly people listening. I want to preface it, Mm -hmm. who might feel as though they're they're needing to shift something in their life, Mm -hmm. whether it's a relationship, a job, a career, something they're studying in college, like changing their major. I'm curious what you felt like leading up to to when you were like, okay, I need to pivot. Like, what were some of the signs that you were picking up on that it was time to shift? And when you made that realization of like, okay, I need to pivot. What was that like? What were the fears? What were you going through? And what helped you actually come from a place of faith and actually take the leap to pivot? Yeah.
1: So, you know, it is really interesting because I think before we make any big change, whether it's your career relationships, like you said, um, we have this period of time where we do know, we know. We know but we're not open to admitting it quite yet, but you'll catch yourself saying things, right? You'll catch yourself saying things about whatever it is that you need to shift in your life off the cuff, right? Like I used to make these little offhanded comments, kind of like, oh, if I could never talk about food again, I'd be happy. Or, oh, you know, I know that I'm meant for other things, but like I'm so good at this. You know what I mean? It always comes with like a, but, but you'll just hear yourself and people around you will start picking up on it. Probably before you do, you know, I had a bunch of friends whose relationships, they ended up, you know, ending their relationships during the past year because it wasn't aligned anymore. And They were kind of shocked by it, but I think the rest of us were not, (laughs) you know, the rest of us were like listening and like hearing the words that were coming out of their mouths. But sometimes we have to say things subconsciously and we don't even hear ourselves when we're saying it. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hmm, I feel really uncomfortable in my life. Like I feel super unhappy. One of my big tells is like I, or telltale signs, whatever, is that I like cannot get off my phone. It's a little bit trickier in pandemic life because I feel like you know, we can dissociate for a number of different reasons. So it may, your life may be fine. And like, you're still just carrying the grief of the pandemic, which, you know, that's okay. Give yourself permission. Um, but yeah, just get really like caught up in avoiding. I'm such an avoidant attachment style. So I will just avoid whatever I have to do. I will avoid my, you know, (laughs) priorities. I will self-sabotage. Um, I, oh, I couldn't plan for the long-term. I could not set a long-term goal in my business for the freaking life of me. And when the pandemic hit and I was looking at my bank account and I was looking at the year ahead of me and I was thinking like, oh, wow, society has changed. The culture is changing like rapidly in front of our eyes, the way the things that people need are changing rapidly. Like we all shifted into this new level. And I think online businesses had to really shift quickly to keep up with, you know, this whole new world that we were living in. I looked at my business and I was like, maybe there's a reason why I haven't been able to plan for my whole business. Like (laughs) maybe there's a reason why I cannot think more than a month out, or I cannot, you know, see myself even doing this or why I feel so resistant to everything I'm doing, why I'm avoiding it, why I, you know, feel so creatively uninspired, like all of these little signs. Um, And finally it got to the point where, I mean, that's exactly what happened. I was looking at my bank account. I was looking at my plans for the year. And I was like, I don't want to do any of this. I don't want to launch this program again. I don't want to go through this. I, I literally cannot bring myself to do it. And if that's the case and I don't make a change, I'm not going to have a business <laughs> like that's just it. And so that was really motivating for me. Um. I I got to a point where I just, I had no choice. Like it was hurting me more than it was helping. And I think that that's really where a lot of us have to get to is that the thing that we're resisting changing is still serving us in some way. Like we still are in that comfort zone for a little bit. And then all of a sudden the comfort zone is like deeply uncomfortable and there's no comfort left. And you're like, I have to change. I have no choice. And that's really what pushed me into it. Now, the interesting thing about that is like, when I had to pivot my business, I had no idea what I was going to do. Not a clue. I just knew I had to change something because I was on a deadline. Like I had bills to pay, you know what I mean? So it's like I had to change something. I had to trust that I would figure it out. And like, that was really terrifying for my ego. I went through a lot of days of like, oh no, I'm making the wrong decision. This is terrible. I'm, sal- I'm sabotaging myself. Like what if this is sabotage, changing my business? What if pivoting is actually just me running away from the hard thing? You know what I mean? Like you, you kind of like use that, (laughs) that logic against yourself as well as for yourself. But deep down, I just knew that I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't even want to talk about food anymore. And I was like, well, if I don't want to talk about food, like what the hell am I doing? This is no, I have to move forward. So, um, I would say the scariest part of that was the day after I announced my pivot, not before. Cause leading up to it, I was feeling, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm having so many ideas. I really feel like I can do this, Da da And now it's my pivot. And the day after was like, I am so stupid. <laughs> Why did I do that? Everyone's gonna think I'm you know, so fickle or whatever if I go back on it, terrifying. Um, yeah, so that was really scary, but it was really good because it forced me to stop chasing money and actually just chase alignment, which I think was a really necessary part of my journey.
0: Yeah, I, I think a, a huge necessary part, I think. of, I don't know. Would you say anybody's or would you say specifically entrepreneurs? I don't know. I think there are people who can
1: chase money mm-hmm. um, and do chase money. I don't have purpose here. And I think that at, that's one of the karmic cycles I'm actually here to break is the chase of money. You know, I learned that from my whole family. Mm. So by, you know, by letting go of that I was kind of going against what everything I'd been taught as well and also I had to come to terms with how do I make sense of this how do I still make money how do I still will I even still want to you know it's just all the questions come up the existential questions of like if I'm not chasing money then what am I chasing and how do I chase that and for me it really was about you know, pursuing alignment and pursuing this feeling of like, I'm doing meaningful work and I feel really inspired by it. And the mo- trusting that the money will come if I'm doing that.
0: Which can be so scary. And I'm, as I was listening to you speaking, I was thinking about how similar this is to somebody who's thinking about finally working towards food freedom and healing. Exactly. And how, the same. yeah. Do you want to speak to that a bit?
1: Yeah, it was, it was interesting because, um, yeah, it's all the same. I think that, like I said before, you know, fat activism and health at every size really radicalized me because it enabled me to question the infrastructure and in the same way going against the cultural norm and seeing how something I never thought was possible, right. Ditching diet culture and like not dieting anymore. I was able to do that. I was able to, despite everyone around me dieting, despite the fact that I live in LA, you know, (laughs) in the Mecca of body image issues, I was able to do that. And it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be because it was part of my path. It was part of my purpose. And if it's aligned with what I'm here to do, that's motivating, that ends up trumping everything else. And so this felt like that lesson 2.0. You know what I mean? Like it's the whack-a-mole. Like we're on to the next version of this. And oh, okay, I think maybe I'm supposed to be doing this in every area of my life.
0: Mm, yeah, I love that. I love that. And I loved how you had mentioned, like, sometimes we have to get to this place where our comfort zone becomes so unbearably uncomfortable mm-hmm. that that we it's like that Tony Robbins quote, like, until the pain of staying the same is Mm. greater than the pain of change. You're probably not going to change. It's kind of like one thing, one of my business mentors, she calls it hovering over rock bottom.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And like, we just hover over rock bottom for years for some of us before we finally hit the rock bottom and take action. I'm curious if you have any insight or personal wisdom about why do we wait to hit rock bottom?
1: Because I think we're all doing it you know what I mean like partially it's our brains protecting us from change that's what they're designed to do and like thank you brain but also like no thank you you know it's not super helpful but I get why you're doing it but yeah I don't know I just think that our our society is kind of built to keep you hovering above rock bottom in the cultural narrative uh, thankfully in the personal development world you know that's changing. And a lot of the personal development world is very force driven. It's very like, just change your behavior. Like, you should just willpower it. Like, da- no one's talking about the depth of getting to that place where you just can't, not no one, people are, but like th- the narrative that it's all force and it's all about just, you know, waking up one day and deciding to change your life and just determination and you have to put your mind to it and all this like diet culture version of personal development. Um, all of that is feeding our hovering above rock bottom because the shame is just keeping us stuck in the hovering, but it's also keeping us from the rock bottom. We won't let ourselves go to that darkest point, even though we're right there. And I love that visual, like I'm so glad that you you know shared that because we're right there. like you're probably so close to rock bottom. And if you just let yourself crash and burn, that happened with my burnout, that happened with dieting, that happened with my business, that happened with everything. Like every time I've just let myself crash and burn, I pick myself up a whole lot faster. And sometimes it feels good. Sometimes you're like, I wanna crash and burn right now. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna go all the way, just go full into it and then pick yourself up. And it is it is a lot easier. And what we realize, once you do it once, you start to realize like, wait, hovering sucked. <laughs> Why was I doing that for so long? And then all of a sudden you start looking around at the rest of your life and you're like, oh, there's a lot of areas I could probably be doing this in, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I do believe pretty strongly in the like how you do everything is how you, how you do one thing mm-hmm. is how you do everything, exactly. you know? Um, so I want to chat about your most recent IGTV video to kind of wrap up our convo about trauma, empaths, highly sensitive people, could you talk about that perhaps from the lens of someone who's struggling with food and body and how, if, how maybe perhaps those two things could influence and connect to, to each other? Yeah. So this is where I got all this
1: knowledge, um, is through my food freedom work because I, my, the clients I tended to work with are highly sensitive people, are empaths or self-identified empaths, are intuitives, are, you know, they're they're people like me. They're people who, um, you know, see themselves and their journey in me. And that's why they're attracted to me to begin with. What, one of the things that we do in the society is we try to be accepted, right. As a, as a kid, especially that is like our number one priority, be accepted by mom and dad or mom and mom or whoever, right. Be accepted by your parents because they feed you. <laughs> And because they house you and because they keep you alive, you have to be accepted by them. You have to be accepted by the culture because if you're rejected, then you might not survive and everything comes down to survival. And so from that place before our brains are fully developed and we're just sort of taking in the world, not only are we adopting like the entire outlook that our parents hold and the entire outlook that our, the culture at large holds, because what we're doing is we're basically absorbing all that information from a really young age and trying to figure out where we fit into it and play by the rules so that we will survive. That involves losing weight. That involves people-pleasing, right? And um, a lot of us who have been through body image trauma, who've been through dieting trauma, whatever, from a young age before you had the opportunity to consent to any of these things, um, you probably had parents who were not exactly, didn't have a ton of emotional uh, processing tools, right? Emotional regulation tools. They also turned to food as a coping mechanism. They also turned to dieting as a self-betrayal coping mechanism. Um, They also talked horribly about their bodies and hyper fixated on their bodies instead of actually doing the deep emotional work that they needed to do. And they taught you the same thing. And so when you live in a household like that, you know, one of my favorite books that I had pretty much, every client read was adult children of emotionally immature parents. If you haven't read it, highly recommend. That book will break you right open and you're like, "Oh, this all makes sense now." Um but yeah, I just find that those two things go hand in hand, you know, chronic dieters as parents raise kids who and you know, have these sort of like emotionally volatile households or have, you know, moments of emotional manipulation or whatever it is. And then they raise kids who are people pleasers, who are, you know, constantly watching the environment and trying to suss out like, has this energy shifted? Like, do I need to be afraid or hyper-independence or like, I'm not allowed to have an emotion because my parents are so emotional that if I have an emotion, I will be burdening them. Things like that. Everyone has a different story around it. Everyone has a different like flavor of it, but more often than not, I find that those two things go hand in hand. And so when you're doing the deep emotional work around food and allowing your body to change, allowing yourself to give up the pursuit of weight loss, what you're doing is essentially saying, I'm not going to live my life to accommodate my parents or whoever's comfort anymore. And that illuminates all the areas in your life where you were living and keeping yourself smaller and hiding your emotions and denying yourself of the things that you needed and all of this, because that's what you felt like you had to do to keep everyone else comfortable. So, you know, this word empath, um, I think is a tricky one because on one hand, I think that there's some real basis to people who are more intuitive, people who are more emotional, people who have more, um, just a, a naturally stronger ability to tap into energy, into emotions and whatever. And I think a lot of people who self-identify as empaths, like I used to, and who get really firm and like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I help everyone. No one ever helps me. I'm such an empath. Like it's this very self-victimization, like wounded place that it's coming from. That to me always speaks to like, okay, let's look at where that came from. Like what what are you coping with? Because if we can get to that root of that, then we can work on like boundaries, right? And actually taking
0: autonomy back. Yeah. And for anyone who's not sure what's the difference between an empath and a highly sensitive person, if there is a difference? Yeah.
1: So um, from what I've read online, and of course, when you look online, everything contradicts itself. So I also say whenever I talk about this, that like, it doesn't particularly matter. <laughs> but the gist of it is that highly sensitive people tend to be more environmentally sensitive, um, can be more introverted. I would say highly sensitive people, if you, anyone here like studies human design, anyone here isn't listening, um, study studies human design, you know, reflectors, people with open emotional centers, um, you're really sensitive to the energy around you. Whereas empath tends to be associated with like, you take on everyone else's emotions and you're, you've got people pleasing tendencies and all. So it's much more people driven, whereas highly sensitive people can be about people, but it's also largely about environment.
0: Yeah. that's And I think that's where the crossover comes into. Yeah. That's a good distinction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think boundaries is a huge thing for people when they are going on this anti-diet journey and that food Mm -hmm. freedom journey I think boundaries are really important especially if you have people in your life who are still very caught up in dieting or it's a parent Mm -hmm. who put you on your first diet and I could see how if you are an empath or someone who grew up people pleasing it, it would be challenging to do that that would be like an area where you'd have to put in some work for sure
1: yeah that used to be one of the first things I did with a lot of clients was like you know, not only would they be neglecting themselves, but they would be the basically on-call therapist for all their friends and family. (laughs) And, you know, I would tell them like, you are about to sign a contract for to work six months with me, okay? I need you first and foremost to go to your family and friends and say, hey, I'm under construction for a little while and I can't be the one that you call. And I love you and I'll be back. And if it's really important, let me know but you're going to have to find someone else for right now because I need to work on myself. And they were always like, oh, Whitney, I don't know. But once they did, they are like, oh my gosh, I feel so free.
0: <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> like you need this space.
1: Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so two more questions and we'll wrap this up. I'm curious if you feel like you're now doing your purpose work, your derma, your soul contract stuff, or do you feel like there's a p- possibility that at some point you'll evolve again and it'll look differently?
1: I mean, I think I will evolve forever. I think my dharma, my purpose is about evolving, is about not niching down and not forcing myself to do one thing for the rest of my life. I don't think I'm meant to be the expert who does one field for 40 years. I think I'm meant to be the person who does a lot of things throughout my life and shows people it's possible to do a lot of things um, and to be a lot of things, you know, because that's, that's how I've always been. And I think I denied that about myself. And I think there's a reason why I've never kept up with a hobby for longer than like you know, however <laughs> however long, I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to keep up with a hobby for my whole life, you know. So I'm doing what I am channeling right now. I'm doing what I'm called to do right now. I'm I'm using the information that I have, putting out the products, following the momentum basically. And when I'm on to the next thing, I'm on to the next thing. And so I've structured my business that way now, and I've made it a big part of my brand story of like I'm gonna pivot again. So if I put something out, if I introduce a course or I introduce an offer or whatever, you can assume like as much as I'd like to have one of my goals this year is to have like things that I repeatedly launched. So I just don't have to worry about creating new stuff all the time and I can focus on, you know, just being, which is, you know, cr- crazy thing, excuse me, crazy thing to think about. But yeah, I just want to like exist. Like sometimes I don't want to work. Screw me, you know, screw it, (laughs) screw me. (laughs) But honestly, like sometimes I just don't want to work. And so I've been telling everyone on Instagram, like, just be prepared and know that if I put something out, like, that might be the only time I put it out, or I'll put it out a bunch of different times. I don't know. And that's not fake urgency. That's literally just because if I'm on to the next thing, I physically cannot put something out that I'm not aligned with. So like get on board, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love that you had said that. I feel so resonant with you and doing a whole bunch of things. Cause I feel like I've had like five careers already by the time I'm 33 <laughs> yeah. and like, they don't all connect, but somehow connect, like worked in fashion for many years, mm-hmm. worked in a law, like in the legal field for many years, owned a restaurant doing coaching, like nothing's connected. It's all random. But so I love that. I don't know if I've actually heard anyone else explain it the way that you have and has reflected back to me something I see in myself. So anyways, that was fun. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So what are you most excited about in life right now?
1: I think I'm just really excited for my business this year because I feel like I'm stepping into a new level of like entrepreneurship and a new level of leadership that I've been kind of avoiding because I actually am giving myself permission, you know, I'm playing the long game a little bit more um, than I ever have before and by that I mean, you know, creating passive income streams, creating offers that kind of sell themselves that I don't have to constantly be launching and stuff because I've finally started giving myself permission in my business to, if I want to take a week off to just be creative and do whatever and hop on social media and just talk and not actually do any admin work or work on my business at all, I can do that, you know? And I can go travel and I can do whatever as soon as, you know, things, whatever. (laughs) We're in this like perpetual waiting. But in the meantime, like I've actually given myself space in my business to just like be a human and I'm really having fun creating right now which I think is the first time I've been able to say that authentically in my business, that I feel like I'm having a lot of fun creating and I have the space to do so. And I don't even, what's ironic is I don't even have the like money. You could look at my bank account and be like, do you have the space to do that? And I'd be like, no, not really, but I do. I'm created that space for myself. And it's like the most freeing thing in the world. And so, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. It's just like, deepening into that I'm like how little can I work it's kind of like a it's kind of a test for me like how easy can I make my business like how many people can I hire to make my life a million and one times easier so that I can just vibe like I just want to sit here I want to just you know whatever so that's what I'm I'm loving right now
0: nice cool Yeah. yeah Yeah. I feel like this is a conversation that I am a part of because I'm also an online coach and entrepreneur. And I feel like this might be somewhat of a new perspective of like, how little can I work? Like that's, I think might be a radical perspective for some people, Mm -hmm. um, listening, but it kind of goes back to you rebelling against all of these cultural norms and challenging the status quo. Um, So it's right in alignment with you,
1: I think. Yeah, I think that's my whole thing here. So (laughs) no matter what I'm doing, you can always probably catch me trying to work less and being proud of it. Everyone's like, I'm so lazy. And it's like, no, you're not. You're just not supposed to work. Like, that's fine. I'm lazy too then, screw it. You know, I can still be successful and lazy. Like who cares?
0: (laughs) Why is lazy (laughs) nothing? That's so radical. That's like, so not patriarchal, capitalistic at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the point. I'm like, screw y'all, I'm gonna do this. (laughs) Um, so where can everybody find you? What are you working on right now? Do you have any offers coming up that you'd like to share about? Just where should people go if they want to connect?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram pretty much. Um, is my main one. So that's at Winnie Catalano. Change my handle. So it's just my name now. Um, find me on Twitter, find me on TikTok. Those are the three places still don't have a website. Like that's the funny thing about pivoting. I was like, I'll do a website later. So, you know, maybe later in the year I'll have a website but in the meantime, don't need it, don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> some exciting things. I probably have some empath resources available by the time this comes out. I'm creating like a boundaries for empaths workshop. I have a program called called to heal, which is for people who are here to help people, basically how to regulate your ego, how to um, do the emotional work, how to create firm boundaries and just like all the prep work you need to help other people. Um, And I'm sure I will have other things in the mix But that's what I got um, planned for now. I also have an intuitive business course uh, coming out that basically helps intuitive people like chill out and make business easier. And like, how can you start your coaching business in a way that like is not skip the two years of (laughs) stress that I went through and just like fast track to what I tend to help people do. So that'll be coming out soon. Maybe it's
0: out. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Based on when this is released. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for being here, Whitney. It's been really great to chat with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. If you love today's episode, please share it with a friend, share it in your Instagram stories, or go leave a comment on my latest Instagram. I always love hearing from you guys. And if you're listening to the podcast and if it's helping you, that really lets me know that you're enjoying it and it helps keep the podcast going. So thank you so much for tuning in to the Love Your Bod Pod and we will talk soon.